All right, hey everybody. Uh, this is our third episode of Crypto Mining Tools Podcast, and today we have Mike Hamilton. Welcome. Hi, Thank welcome, Mike. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for having me. Good to talk to you guys. And uh, co-host Ethan Zerka here. Hey everybody, Ethan Zerka here. Um, so today we're talking about uh, Bitcoin mining, and specifically, we have the CTO of Grid. Um, and Mike will tell us a little bit about that. Um, so yeah, Mike, what's what's with Grid? I don't know much about them yet. Yeah, so we're relatively new, but we're uh, you know, basically we're we're mining uh, Bitcoin. Got uh, you know multi multi megawatts worth of uh, power and and just mining away. Uh, so that's pretty much it. Holy, you know, we own all of our own gear and uh, yeah, just having some fun while we're doing it. Multi megawatts. That sounds nice. It's uh, it's had interesting. Uh, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, it sounds like uh, I, I. What what are you mining with? What what kind of miners? Uh, pretty much all S nines right now. Um, okay. Yeah, pretty much all 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 BTC. Staying staying with the Godfather and uh, you know uh, keeping it real on the on the Bitcoin side. Well, you need megawatts to make a profit with S nines now. <laughs> yep, yeah. There's there's lots of fun. Uh, I was watching the second second episode with uh, JL and and you know some interesting things you can do there uh, uh, with power and uh, all sorts of knobs you can play with. Yeah, um, what some kind of pool? Like playing with knobs. What kind of pool are you pointed to? Uh, so we currently use F two pool. Um, okay, and uh, been super happy with uh, uh, super happy with them. Yeah, I like we've, the, we've been seeing some people switching over to different pools uh, lately. You know, some of them don't like the the big pools. They don't like supporting certain ASIC mining manufacturers or whatnot. Right. Yeah, I'd like to just take this moment here to thank our sponsor for this um, podcast, No Block Mining Pool. Um, they're a new pool, and they're based here in the United States and North America. And they launched back in August 2019, and within four short months. They've managed to become one of the top 15 in the world uh, in terms of public mining pools. And their goal is to decentralize the hash rate with a focus on North America um, as China is shifting away mining from China and moving into the United States and North America. They want to be a leader in the mining industry um, and, you know, change the, the way that pools are utilized through transparency and educating their customers for the best type of pool for their needs. Yeah, so we, we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. Um, anyone that wants to test out their mining pool, you can use the invitation code OFFERED18, so that's O-F-F-O-R-D-1-8, and you can receive a permanent reduction in your pool fees down to 1.8% fee. Uh, so that code is it's only available until around uh, January 20th, but if you, sign up and use that before then, uh, you can have a permanent fee of 1.8%. So if you have um, an interest in this, you can go to novablock.com and talk to Vincent. Uh, his email is vincent.v at novablock.com. And you can check out uh, to see if you want to qualify for that or if you'd like to learn more about mining pools. Check it out, guys. So, um, Mike, I've, I've got a, a question for you, and you, you'll have to forgive me if it sounds ignorant or not. You're chief technical officer, correct? Correct. And in another life, I was actually a, a chief information officer of uh, a, a couple of companies, actually. 
And I know exactly what that job entails. Can you tell me um, from your perspective, what's the difference between a chief information officer and a chief technical officer? Yeah, I, mean, I think I think for me the biggest the, the biggest difference, uh, and I think it really sort of depends on the type of company that it that it uh, you know that you're that you're working for. In our case, um, you know, sort of the, the information aspect sort of rolls up with me because you know we're obviously fa fairly small. Uh, you know, it's not like we've got hundreds of employees uh, or anything like that. But um, really, what I focus on is how can uh, what technology is out there, either in open source form or commercial form. Uh, or what needs, or what's missing altogether, and how do we take those, uh, you know, put them together? Uh, if we need to go, you know, hire, you know, developers and and build stuff, um, how do we take the data that we collect and actually make use of it? It's sort of anything that falls in the technical bucket, sort of all rolled up into one, you know, development, product management, um, you know, all, all those sorts of things. So, uh, who who's the CEO? Uh, CEO is a former coworker and obviously now current coworker. Uh, uh, Trey Kelly is our, our CEO. Trey, okay, okay, cool. I've okay, seen him online yeah. and uh, yeah, and he's he's actually based out of Cincinnati. Uh, that's so where that's I where, am. Uh, yeah, that's where he lives. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, I'll have to uh, see if I can reach out to him and and do a face to face with him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I promise in... the yeah, the beard's much more impressive face to face than it, <laughs> the, the camera doesn't catch it. Good. Yeah. Now, uh, what what uh, ge geographical locations are you guys mining in? Uh, currently, all uh, all East Coast, but we're we, we've got leads on on next locations all sort of all over the place. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, all, all U.S. No no interest in in uh, going overseas. Now, why why is that? Why why do you prefer the U.S.? Uh, it's regulatory risk, um, you know, and and keeping it uh, you know keeping it uh, in the USA. Mm -hmm. Mostly, it's for uh, I've got four kids. Uh, well, most of us have, you know, uh, either younger kids or or otherwise, and you know, don't want to be hauling over overseas all the time. It's easier to hop a short flight to get yeah. where you need to be than than the long flights. Absolutely, family first. Family first. Last episode, we were talking with JL about um, his struggles to to get really good power costs. Um, what input can you you provide about your power costs? Like, do you use a power broker, or do you have another system or another way of getting good power costs? Uh, good old fashioned uh, hard work, hitting the phones and and relationships. Um, uh, you know, the, the the power broker is certainly you know, that was an interesting thread of conversation, uh, and uh, you know, certainly as we look in you know other areas where we might not have you know the same set of relationships we have in our current uh, current zone. Um, you know, the power broker is definitely an interesting option. Uh, the other thing you guys were talking about with the sort of the interruptible sort of time of service, um, you know, that's certainly, uh, you know, you can, you can find, you know, power companies and their published rate schedules online for the you know, sort of interruptible uh, setup. You know, even those are sort of in the, in the ballpark of, of uh, uh, profitable, but yeah, you know, there's definitely technical issues uh, in the time of, you know, the, the time of use, uh, you know, interruptible schedule and, you know, it turns out going from you know zero to ten megawatts, you know, in a matter of you know ten minutes, is not a terribly trivial uh, problem. Actually, go going from you know five or ten to zero is is easy. Uh, <laughs> you know, effectively going from zero to ten, uh, and what the ramps look like, and how you do that and manage that is a whole other set of uh, a whole other set of issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um. 
So like what kind of power costs do you and your organization try to strive for? Um, you know, I, I'm just trying to get a feel for, you know, who's getting the best deals out there. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you can, you know, if you, uh, I think the easiest way to see that is if you look at the hosting deals that, that get offered, it's like most of those are right around, you know, between five and a half, six and a half cents from a hosting perspective, which means, you know, they're getting it somewhere in the, you know, in the three cent range, uh, if they're going to, you know, a little, little markup, obviously there's a lot of, a lot of labor and, you know, moving systems and fixing hardware on site from a hosting perspective. So, you know, between three and four cents is, you know, if, if you're, if you're not there, then obviously you have you know, a different set of issues in trying to you know, reduce your Watts per terahash and, and trying to squeeze it as most you can uh, and sort of speak along. Um, yeah. So we, we, we try to try to aim beneath what it costs, you know, to host and, and we don't, you know, we don't do hosting. That's not our, mm-hmm. uh, not our model where, you know, we're, we're, we're mining for ourselves and, and for our, for our people, it's not a hosted model, but it's a nice indicator uh, to have that hosting model out there to, you know, sort of not, you know, understand what the baselines are and, you know, where the facilities are. Um, Cause you're probably not going to host in an area where you're getting six cent power. Uh, so that's obviously a good, uh, a good indicator is where where the hosting sites are. You might be able yeah. to you know, squeeze your own yeah. deals out. Let let the other folks do the work. Unless uh, and, and, and Bitcoin is at like fifty thousand or something, yeah, I, I'm not going to be mining from my from my own home right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've done I've done that. I'm, I'm sure everyone's done that. And uh, yeah. you know, the the wife got tired of the uh, the uh, the <laughs> a a the heat uh, the noise, uh, and I actually had converted our. Our, our half completed wine cellar project turned ended up turning into the uh, to the to the data center uh, <laughs> and then ultimately gave it up and converted it back to the wine cellar that's how much i love mining that i actually like it more than wine uh, yeah that's a, that's a that's a high bar you like crypto more than wine more than wine that's awesome unfortunately my wife doesn't like crypto more than wine so uh. <laughs> yeah when i was ma- uh, mining in my basement uh, i had maybe five S nines down there. And that's where uh, my wife runs on the treadmill and man, she was, yeah, it was hot. She didn't like that very much at all. So I had to, I had to get those out of there. Yeah. Luckily our our, our old house had a sort of an unfinished area uh, sort of underneath the house that wasn't really usable. So I was able to toss them in there, but of course then it's a little dirty. um, And I was, I had uh, three 13 GPU rigs in there. So 39, uh, GPUs in there, um, and they, man, they, they burn some heat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So tell us, um, I think offline you're telling us that you guys, uh, run your miners in containers. Yes, we do. Uh, we do run in containers. What advantage does that give you? Uh, I think the biggest thing is you know, ultimately if you look at, you know, mining in the, in the, in the broader sense, ultimately you've got a couple different uh, things you're trying to cover as you're mining. Um, obviously you've got the, the power you're trying to, you know, make sure you can pay for. Uh, and then you've got the overhead of what it takes to buy the hardware. Uh, and then of course the overhead of what it takes to get set up your PDUs, your network, etc. Um, you know, and frankly, you know, people can say good things or bad things, whatever they like about Bitmain. These S nines are like tanks. Um, mm-hmm. they run in all kinds of conditions, you know, humidity, not humidity. Um, you know, and so, you know, ultimately, when you're looking at you know large scale, you know, multi megawatt projects, um, you know, containers is the is the easiest and fastest way to get up and running with as little overhead that where your your deployed capital is going to money making assets. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the miners uh, essentially, 
so that's you know that's sort of the the logic behind uh, behind that model. Now, do you uh, manufacture your own containers, or do you uh, buy them from a, a provider? Uh, we do not currently manufacture our own containers, uh, although that's one of the one of my fun projects is looking at. You know, there's obviously lots of really interesting, you know, uh, manufacturers of containers out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've sort of personally looked at, you know, four or five, six different versions. Uh, the the ones we're currently mining out are fairly fairly basic, um, but uh, yeah, something we're looking at uh, on on the right way to do that. Whether or not it's, uh, you know, ambient or if it's, uh, you know, if you've got exhaust fans or if you're using mini fans or, or ex- the existing minor fans to sort of passively. Uh, you know, with the hot cold separation, all sorts of really interesting, you know, problems to solve uh, you know, in the container mining uh, you know, aspect. Yeah. Now, are, is it something that you would uh, be willing to share who your current provider is for containers or? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's any super secret, but uh, we actually have been using the uh, the ant boxes, uh, the Bitman okay. ant boxes. Okay. Um, and uh, interesting issues, they come with sort of, you know, your, your Chinese PDUs. Um, and so there's <laughs> a, little, a little extra work to go back and, and get the UL rated, you know, PDUs dropped in there. But, uh, yeah. uh, but frankly, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly simple, um, you know, and, and sort of, ele- it's actually a fairly elegant design, uh, really, and sort of the, the thought of detail. I've, I've been actually pretty impressed with the, uh, you know, with the quality of the container, um, you know the uh, the louvers, the uh, evaporative blankets, all the things that that come along with them. I've actually been pretty impressed with. Yeah, uh, Ethan, I actually uh, saw some of those in operation in Texas. in Texas. We visited the the Bitmain facility down there. Oh, the Rockdale. Yep, yep. And Rockdale we saw they had um, fuses instead of breakers in their PDU. Is that what you're dealing with? Yeah. So, uh, like I said, we're not using the stock PDUs that that came, um, uh, but we are using. Uh, very similar PDUs that actually do have fuses uh, as opposed to breakers. Um, okay. And then, uh, you know, incidentally, the, the the fuses are actually super expensive. You go down to the Home Depot, they're like six, eight bucks a piece. Oh, uh, really? But, I thought but, they would be much I, cheaper. Well, I'm a, fortunately, I'm a, I'm an Alibaba uh, uh, master. <laughs> uh, so uh, I was able to get them for about 18 cents a piece. Uh, so uh, frankly, I'm in the wrong business. I should just be selling you know, $8 fuses on a 18 cent cost basis. Uh, There's a little better margins in uh, apparently in, in 20 amp fuses than there is in uh, Bitcoin mining. How frequently do the, the fuses blow out? Is it, is it a common occurrence? I mean, you said you you bought in bulk from Alibaba. So yeah, I mean, I think about 200, about 250 of the, uh, I think maybe two, a couple hundred of them. And I think maybe we're, Maybe we've used 30 or 40 total and almost okay. all the 30 or 40 that we burned were either during, you know, like a bring up, uh, or, you know, sort of a, a go live in a new section. So mm-hmm. it was more about, uh, you know, underlying issues when we're in normal operations, they're almost never, they're almost never, uh, okay. burning right. out. Yeah. Now you, um, have a, a background in cybersecurity. Is that correct? That's correct. So can you tell Scott and I and, and the audience, you know, some of the security issues that you face um, in setting up and operating a mine? Yeah, great, great question. There's been, there's been some interesting ones, uh, you know, coming out of the you know, sort of enterprise. I mean, we had, you know, you know, Fortune 10, uh, Fortune 50 type customers at, at the last company, um, you know, doing antivirus software. So, you know, while I'm not a you know, security researcher, 
you know, I've you know designed, developed, built, and and sold security products for I guess the better part of the last you know eight ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been impressed with the creativity of the uh, uh, so so our first batch of machines we bought were actually used machines, um, uh, and as I was you know going through getting them spun up and and turned on, configured, found you know let's see how many uh, maybe a half a dozen or so uh, compromised machines. Oh really? Uh, so I was able to pull them off the network um, and actually go do some forensic analysis on them and. Yeah, there's some interesting things where they'll uh, creatively uh, the attackers have uh, actually modified the uh, the CGI scripts. Okay. Um, that will actually, if you go in and you you know set your pool settings, um, it'll take the setting. Yeah. Go back to the page. It'll show the setting uh, as you set it up, but underneath it's actually uh, it's actually it's running some nice hash. Uh, they're, they they uh, they tend to use nice hash. Uh, typically the uh, the attackers oh. and then even if you uh, the only way to really tell is to actually go um, uh, and actually hit the cg miner api directly because they even modify the uh, uh, the the miner status page to show whatever you had configured even though uh, the cg miner api won't lie to you uh, but uh, huh. it's it's pretty pretty fascinating so yeah. that that's I, how you found that the, before the, um, yeah. yeah. So one of my clients so bought uh, a big batch of miners, and uh, yeah, they had them running for a little while. They they put in their pool setting and everything, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. And finally, they they realized, yeah, you know, they they did some really tricky things to make it look like it had actually received the the correct pool setting, but it didn't. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So the the uh, you know it's only the way yeah you know, sort of coming from a security background you know d- don't trust anything, especially when you're Loading up uh, several thousand, you know, used miners that are in, you know, who knows what sort of shape. Um, yeah, so I, I basically run continuous, you know, security audits internally, comparing uh, both what the UI says against uh, the uh, the CG miner API, uh, and even cross correlating it with both the pool settings and uh, our firmware, you know, settings. Uh, so it's uh, it's uh, it's interesting, and it was it, sort of finding it for the first time was was pretty exciting. Uh, and uh, you know, sort of getting a chance to to pull it apart, and there's, there's some creative creative attackers out there. Yeah, so, now that that sounds like an interesting thing that you know that might be useful for other people too. I I don't know, is this something that you just custom coded yourself to to watch for, or? Yeah, it is, but it, that's a good point. It's probably something I should you know uh, yeah I just you know we use obviously we use GitHub for all the all the fun things we build internally, and maybe I'll. Uh, see if I can't get that get that published. It's uh, I mean it's it's actually pretty simple. Uh, it's not it's not super difficult. But uh, yeah, I'll see if maybe I can't you know, pu- publish some of those sorts of tools and and bring some of the I'll be the minor security guy uh, and, and <laughs> publish some stuff for, uh, to help people out. That would be awesome. Let us can know. You, do that. Can you give any tips to our audience out there? It, let's say they have a compromised miner. So what, what's the course of action? Do they just reload in the firmware or do they have to do something more extreme? Like what, what's the way to fix it? Uh, in this case, there was, a, there was a couple things. One, what they did um, is they asked, they incidentally also modified the upgrade uh, CGIs. So they wouldn't, so you couldn't just like upload the software directly uh, from the UI. Um, so you actually had to install uh, command line and or do the SD flash. Uh, okay. Once you fl- once you SD flash or uh, or command line uh, uh, flash, then you were you were in good shape. But 
Okay. Uh, yeah, they literally modified just about anything that you could uh, modify to keep people from uh, doing a lot of back doors. Yeah, oh, yeah, a lot of a lot of back doors. Wow. So your recommendation is to use the SD card flash method if you think or suspect that you have a compromised miner. Yeah, and, and and actually, incidentally, call this one of the one of the learning mistakes. Uh, is that what we should have done? Is we should have done sort of the at least on the Bitmain side, the IP report reset uh, as we were plugging in. Uh, but frankly, we just got so excited when you know, a couple thousand S nine show up. We were just yeah. stuffing them in there and powering them on. It's like, oh, we'll figure it out later. Uh, yeah, and we probably should have been a little bit more systemic uh, or, or systematic rather in 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 that process and sort of done the IP reset uh, up front. Uh, but certainly the, the SD flash is a you know nice safe you know method though it is you know time consuming to flip around sure. jumpers. Uh, although incidentally we also had some of ours that the uh, you know and, and even I'm not entirely sure exactly how the IP uh, reset the IP report reset uh, works. But even some of those when IP report resetting them uh, came back in a slightly what seemed to be a non-factory state. So uh, mm. you know either command line uh, uh, software updates or uh, or the SD flash is certainly the safest method, though it is certainly more time consuming. Right. Any idea how the compromise happened? I mean, obviously you got them already compromised, but do you have any right. like um, suspicion or, you know, were, were they on a vulnerable network or yeah. Any, any ideas or thoughts about that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it really could be, could be anything, uh, you know, most likely, uh, and if you think about the type of people who are running mines uh, and the type of people who are you know, plugging their computers in to the mine to you know, go you know, update systems or, or sort of maintain them, probably have hardware wallets uh, or, or rather software wallets. They might have, uh, you know, I've got, you know, uh, uh, Raven was one of the interesting coins that I you know, played around with and, and still sort of you know, keep the wallet for. I, I imagine... You know, some some of the folks that are operating the mines have similar uh, software, maybe for other. Uh, so I, I, my, my gut suspicion is that it's more likely someone came in to to do some maintenance on the systems with the compromised system, um, and there was more sort of a worm effect as opposed to, uh, you know, it's fairly hard to to compromise a system. I mean, if you think about what miners are doing, you know, they go you know get some work every ten minutes, mm -hmm. and then just hang out for ten minutes. There's not a whole lot of opportunity to you know. Uh, you know, sort of yeah. bust through, um, you know, and, uh, you know, get to the miners directly. It's more likely you know, sort of coming in from someone plugging in from the outside. Uh, sort of my, my theory on it, but, uh, you know, just, just a theory. Sure. It's good. Always good to know. Right. Absolutely. So, um, uh, Mike, yeah, I was going to ask you um, maybe some other interesting project that you've uh, worked on in the past. Yeah, I think one of my favorite projects was, uh, you know, had, had done some traveling with my wife, uh, you know, getting away from the kids for a little bit and ended up in a you know, fairly remote set of islands and had a you know, sort of fresh food problem and, and sort of came around to a, you know, uh, growing, growing vegetables and, and uh, inside shipping containers with you know, a little, little UV light, some a uh, couple of raspberry pies and some, some pumps and actuators and, uh, you know, essentially built a, uh, a little indoor hydroponic farming uh, setup, and then ultimately got sidetracked by, you know, normal life. But uh, uh, as I was saying before, uh, before we hopped on, but even some of the same, you know, 
using some Raspberry Pis, some relays, a lot of the same sort of things we use to control some of the containers and some of the environmental uh, factors and what we deal with. So uh, always a fun project. Uh, yeah. So vegetables, that's what they're calling it these days, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was <laughs> lettuce and it was, it was actual lettuce, not, uh, not okay, the other lettuce. side of lettuce. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, in, I'm in Texas. We're not quite so, uh, so forward thinking as the, as the Colorado yeah. and the Washington and the California. <laughs> right. A different type of leaf that, that you're trying to yeah. grow. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it was actual, actual lettuce. Okay. So you, you went from, uh, using shipping containers to now again using shipping containers for different it turns products. out giant metal boxes have a whole lot more use than just shipping things who would have thought yeah <laughs> it, it's like it's like it's like christmas where uh, or you know kids open up the christmas presents and they toss the they toss the legos aside and they go take the take the cardboard boxes and go play with those for for two days <laughs> right. uh, turns out turns out that never that never goes away from us we, we grow into adults and we use shipping containers the same yeah. way they play with the cardboard boxes. And I know my my brother uh, wanted to build a house out of shipping containers um, in the past. So it's yeah. There's a here in Austin. There's a shipping container bar. Uh, it's super cool. They took a bunch of shipping containers and welded them together in various shapes and turned it into a bar. Awesome. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I'd like to definitely go there. Yeah, you should come check it out. Austin's <laughs> a good town. Yeah. Mike, can you um? you know, tell us uh, a little bit more about, you know, what got you into mining? Like, you know, how, how did you get started? Did you just, you know, wake up one day and said, I'm, I'm done with lettuce. I'm going to do something else. Or like, what, what was your segue in? Yeah. So, uh, sort of coming out of school as a, you know, coming out of college, I was actually an ASIC designer. So I actually designed ASICs for you know, half a dozen years, uh, wanted to be a designer for, for GPUs. Uh, but, uh, that that market consolidated, you know, right as I was coming out of school. The 3D effects and all those guys uh, all sort of got merged into, you know, the current you know, two set. So ended up doing network processor development. So had a, had a sort of embedded, you know, ASIC chip design experience. Ended up in security, um, and then uh, sort of the last couple of companies had a coworker who was into it. Uh, incidentally, Trey, uh, CEO, got me into it. He just thought. Uh, that I was, you know, I'd be interested in it just because of the, you know, really is more so around blockchain technology and, and you know, what the implications are for that. Um, and so he introduced me to it uh, about three years ago, and that's uh, turned into the, you know, the 39 GPUs in my basement and an unhappy wife. Uh, and, wine. Uh, and, uh, and, a, and a smaller wine shortages. Wine, and, and, a, and a smaller wine supply. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, you know, it was, was time to move on from the, from the corporate side and, uh, you know, got together with Trey and got the site going and that's what we're doing. A lot of people in this industry, when they hear the term ASIC application, um, specific integrated circuit, they immediately just think Bitcoin miners. What a lot of people don't know is application specific integrated circuits have been used for a lot of other things. Can you explain to our audience what other things that ASICs are used for? Uh, yeah, absolutely. They're used for all sorts of stuff. And, and frankly, the GPU is in fact an ASIC. It's just an ASIC for, uh, for, for GPU, uh, you know, uh, for sort of the repeatable uh, mathematical, you know, high memory intensive issues. But uh, I mean, really ASICs, uh, you know, Raspberry Pi, the little single board, uh, you know, little single board computers. That's an ASIC that just happens to be just a, you know, it's got the network on board, you know, regular CPU on board. 
um, you know, like I said, my background came out of the network processor side. Uh, so we built network processors that uh, were used in all the uh, you know, ENOBs uh, for cell towers. So, uh, you know, for processing traffic, classifying uh, network traffic, things like that. Um, I mean, just about any any device, you know, your cell phone, you know, phone, you know, tons of ASICs in there. Um, you know, it's a it's an interesting, interesting space. Been out of it for a while now, but still still try to follow as, as close as I can. What would you say is the the major difference between the ASICs used for mining Bitcoin and just like the everyday ASICs that are in our lives? Like what what is the the main difference between those two types? Uh, I think from the from the Bitcoin ASIC style is I think really how simple uh, they are. I mean, obviously there's you know it's never simple to you know uh, to to build an ASIC and you know you got the silicon masks and the metal masks and and all of those things. But ultimately, when you look at you know uh, uh, you know a uh, you know, SHA two fifty six chip, you basically have one little block that gets replicated a million times. You put a little control logic around it. Some, I mean, there's still serial ports running on these things, um, and that's how they talk. You know, a little I squared C. I squared C has been around for decades. Um, you know, it's really more about the you know the, the ASIC technology and the difficulty in the manufacturing side. The chips themselves are, you know, it's basically a you know, an arm, you know, some arm IP, uh, which ultimately you can, you know, you know, arms done an unbelievable job in that model of, you know, creating the sort of embedded chip uh, or the embedded controller uh, IP and, and you know, giving the tools to wrap around it. Um, yeah, that by itself has radically, uh, you know, increased the speed at which companies like Bitmain and, and Samsung can, um, you know, can get these chips out the door. You know, my, my first ASIC company, we actually had our own, you know, three or four different, you know, microcontroller, microprocessor designs, you know, all in-house. Uh, that was really before ARM had become, you know, what ARM is today. Uh, and, and certainly I can imagine how much quicker we could have done that. Uh, right. Done some of those early, early designs with, uh, you know, off the shelf, you know, you know, two gigahertz, you know, quad core, uh, you know, chip. Uh, you know where the IP is all done for you. Layout's all done. It's just literally drop it in and you know put your supporting stuff around it. So there's some people that think that maybe Bitmain might come out with a five nanometer miner. Um, you know, in 2020. Personally, I, I don't think it might happen until maybe you know 2022. What what are your thoughts on on five nanometer for uh, mining? Yeah, I mean for for context purposes, the last chip that I worked on. Uh, you know, before I got out of the ASIC space was 90 nanometer. Uh, and I, we were getting wow. ready to work on a, on a 65 nanometer chip. And that was like cutting edge, uh, you know, at the time, obviously. You know, the interesting we're thing- We're now down to a 10th of that, so. Yeah, and actually yeah. the first one, uh, the first chip I worked on, I think was a 0. 0.23 <clears throat> micron. So 230 nanometer, uh, well, I think it was the first one, uh, first chip that I worked on. So obviously, you know, lot, lot of leaps and bounds in the last, you know, 15, 20 years. But, uh, you know, in, in terms of the five nanometer, you know, one of the interesting things, uh, you know, about the actual circuits um, is ultimately you're getting down to, you know, single layers of atoms as the gates on these transistors. And you know, ultimately there's, you know, only so much further you can go. Yeah. And when you think about it, I mean, obviously, you know, there's thousands and millions of these, you know, ASIC chips coming out. Um, but ultimately you're competing against, you know, uh, uh, for capacity, you know, in you know, TSMC or Samsung or you know whichever fab of you know of choice, for you know CPUs for for phones. So you, there's 
you know, there's a capacity issue, and then there's just a pure technology of, you know, the, the, uh, especially in a power hungry and a power sensitive environment, you start to get to, you know, you know single double layers of atoms and the, the amount of leakage and just, you know, mm-hmm. raw power that is just thrown away because, you know, because of the thickness of the actual gates. Um, so, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit out of touch in terms of keeping up with the you know, sort of the manufacturing technology, but, you know, ultimately running into physics problems. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and there's certainly lots of research out there on, you know, carbon nanotubes and, and other sorts of ways to, you know, essentially create, you know, or, or replicate transistor style behavior, uh, you know, with, you know, uh, even smaller form factors and, you know, less leakage, faster uh, switching, et cetera. Yeah. Well, um, thanks for your time. We're going to cut it off here soon, but uh, is there anything else that you want to tell us about Grid or what you guys are up to or where we could find you? Uh, yeah. So on, on Twitter, I'm, uh, at Mike Hamilton, nice and nice and easy, um, and uh, that's probably the easiest place to get a hold of me. But um, yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll be uh, uh, as your suggestion, and maybe I'll publish some of my security tools and and you know, see if we can help people out. And uh, yeah, uh, happy to happy to talk with with anyone that's interested. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for your time, Mike. It was really good speaking with you. Same here. Appreciate it. Great, great to right. talk to you guys. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks. All right. Bye. Okay, so this uh, episode was sponsored by uh, the NovaBlock mining pool. And you can go to novablock.com and uh, type in when you're signing up, use the invitation code OFFERED18. That's O-F-F-O-R-D-1-8. Thank you.